areas that a lot of the people spoke two languages and the indigenous, they call it indigenous in Spanish, the, the native language. And uh, so I've learned how to say good morning. It's Coindego. Coindego. And uh, see you later, Hatwaida. Instead of, and of course, that's as far as Buenos Dias and Hasta Luego. But it, it was uh, interesting when I'd go up and we'd start talking, and then the guy that was with me, an older gentleman, I guess 50 ish, uh, I say older in, compared to some of the younger guys I was with, he just leaned up against this door. I got a picture of him, and he. And he's talking through this window at this older woman inside, and all of a sudden he just took off in another language. And I sat there and listened to back and forth conversation for about 15 minutes. And when we got through, he made a couple mentions of some stuff in Spanish and back to the other, and he said, We'll see you later. And then uh, he said, Hatuaida to her. She said, Hatuaida. See you later. See you later. You know, he turned and looked at me. He goes, Hatuaida. Now, come on, you were going this way. And he said, sorry, I just slipped off into their indigenous language. That's the one that she understood a lot better and could communicate a lot better. I said, you speak in her heart language, and that's great. Do it. And so uh, it's, it's unique. But anyway, we're in John 4, Juan Cuatro, if you're speaking Spanish. And we're going to start in verse 1. And that's much Spanish I hope to do this morning. John chapter 4, I, I, I'm always encouraged and taken back as I look at the encounters that Jesus has and I really try to envision how it's really transpiring as if it was in some kind of movie and and I was there watching it there at being a I guess a a watcher by and uh, so I'm going to try to get that conveyed to you to understand what's going on here and uh, John 4 is very early in Jesus' ministry. And back in chapter 2, he's just changed the water into wine. That's the very first miracle that he's performed. Right after that, there's a visit from Nicodemus to him. And so Nicodemus has seen something. But as far as getting out and being known, is not too much happening in that. So Jesus, therefore, in chapter 4, now is starting to do his ministry. And the Pharisees and others are taking note of his following. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, John the Baptist had had people coming out to the wilderness. And that's a trip for these people to travel this distance to get out alongside the Jordan where it's at up above, looks like above the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus now is getting more disciples. The Pharisees were already troubled because they went out to see what John was up to. They wanted to know, back in Matthew chapter 3 and 4 and 5, what, not chapter 5, but 3 and 4, what was going on uh, in this guy. Why was he getting so many followers? Now all of a sudden, Jesus is getting even more followers, and that's disturbing them. And so then verse 2 adds a little parenthesis, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did. And that's, uh, um, I'm sure, a comment that is made to let us realize, although it's important, he wasn't the one that did that. So I believe nobody could later on say, Jesus baptized me. Like that was going to be any different. Because it's the motive of why you're being baptized, not the person that's doing it. It's a value. 
But Jesus never did it himself, but the disciples did. So anyway, verse 3, it says, They left Judea, and they departed to Galilee. Now, Judea, if you're looking at a map in the back of your Bible or wherever, and you're looking at the map of, of that area in the time of Jesus, Galilee is up here, and Judea is down below. And there's a region in between that area called Samaria. Down in uh, Judea is, ne- is uh, Jerusalem and a few of the particular cities that are important for the Jewish people. But up along Galilee, above Samaria, is the Sea of Galilee. There's a place called Capernaum where Jesus uh, himself spent a lot of time ministering. Uh, Jesus was there, and that's also uh, John, excuse me, Peter's uh, hometown. Down in Galilee is Nazareth, uh, excuse me, up in Galilee is Nazareth, and that's Mary's hometown. And so there's a, a section where the Jewish people are, but in between is Samaria. It may not mean anything to you, but it did for the Jewish people because they never went through Samaria. To go from Galilee down to Judea or back up to Galilee They went around Samaria. And if you read chapter 4 from John, I'm sure most of you have, you know that they just didn't associate with them. And uh, we we understand that in our society. There are some people that don't associate with other people. There are some areas, matter of fact, that all of us would be fearful about crossing through. I'm not sure how many are excited about going to certain areas of New York City. Or, or other places like that. And, and so we understand what it is to, to go around an area. And Georgia is a, a great uh, place, uh, state of Georgia. But if you're leaving Chattanooga, you're going to travel through Georgia to get to Florida if you're headed toward Florida. You're not going to go all the way around it because that's the long way around. But the Jewish people did go around Samaria. They wouldn't be caught dead in that area. They just wouldn't do it. They don't associate with them. They don't eat with them. They don't buy. They don't sell. They don't do anything. They don't even look at them. Totally disregard them. Now, I say all that to set it up because verse 4, when Jesus is headed to this place with his 12 apostles, it said, verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, if you're marking your Bibles and you haven't already marked that little spot there, I underline, write a note or whatever, needed. Because you've got to ask yourself, what was Jesus' need? I've never seen him in a hurry. There's an occasion where Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, later on in the Gospels, is deathly sick. And Mary and Martha call for Jesus and it says he waited two more days before he went there. He wasn't in a hurry. Of course, he had a particular thing in mind about going there too. But here he says he, he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go. He had to do this this way because Samaria was his objective. It wasn't the go-through place to hurry to get to the next place. But there's something going on, and this is what we're talking about this morning. He had an appointment. He had an appointment with someone there. It was with the woman at the well. You've maybe read that story, but I want you to see in Jesus' mind when he's headed out with his apostles and they come in, they're coming down the, the pathway, and there's Samaria straight through here, and Galilee's on the other side. Well, but over here, you see, is where the pathway goes around for the Jewish people. It's almost like Jews turn left here and go around, because you don't do this. 
And so as Jesus is going straight through here, they're all saying, uh, you're going the wrong way, Jesus. No, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. No, this, you don't understand. We don't go this way. They're helping him. You know how Peter and a few of the others always want to help Jesus a little bit. I want you to get the, the gist of what's going on. And so maybe there's a little discussion that John doesn't take time to, to go into. Other things happen that, that John doesn't write details about. But there's a discussion. Why are you doing this? Just come along with me. I got this handled. Don't worry about it. Okay, we're going. You know, we don't like this. We've never done this before. Our entire life. We've been from here to there, but we've never gone through this area. My parents have never done this. My grandparents, I don't know anybody that's ever gone through this area. I've never talked to anybody that's gone through this area. Because if they go through this area, they're the wrong people. And we don't talk to those people. We don't eat with them. We don't associate with them. We're going through this area. Okay. So they go through the area. When they get there close to a town called Sikar, something happens. So we'll read on here. Now, verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well. Now we're going back to the Old Testament time of Jacob. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. That was about the sixth hour. So it's getting hot. He's tired. You might underline that part. He's a human being. He's a tough guy, too. I've been around construction people for a long time. They're never wimps. <laughs> they, they, they've got some muscle about them. And those are the ones that use electric tools. Jesus didn't have any of that available to him. But nonetheless, he's a physical person, and he's tired because it's been a long journey. But I think he's also setting up his apostles for something. He's got a meeting he's going to take, have here, and he doesn't want them around. I'm going to have this private meeting. And he doesn't discuss this with him. He says, you go to town and get me some food, and I'm going to sit here by the well. So they go, okay, he's tired. He's really tired. You know, Jesus, he's tired. So he sat there, and they went to town. Now, as you're watching what's going on, verse 7 a woman from Samaria came to draw, draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Here's the appointment. The woman is his appointment. She doesn't know she has an appointment with Jesus. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria because he had an appointment. And as I'll come to later on, we all have appointments with Jesus. Everybody has appointments and opportunities for more appointments. But I want you to see what's happening here because this woman has an appointment with Jesus. She doesn't know it. When she left town, she doesn't know it. Now, she's coming at the sixth hour. It's a hot part of the day. And you'll look at some of the commentaries and things like that, and you'll understand that people don't come out in the heat of the day to go draw water from a well. They go early in the morning or late in the evening if they have to go back twice. But they never go in the middle of the day. It's a long way from town. You're, you're hot, you're weary, and you certainly don't want to be out there carrying huge jugs of water, maybe strapped one end on a pole and one on the other end. You're carrying it along, however you did it, over your shoulders. And, and so you're lugging a heavy weight out of town. But she's going that point. And the reason she goes at that time period is because there won't be anybody else at the well. 
She's designed this time because she can be alone. And when you look at what's going on and you see her lifestyle and, and what she's chose to do in her life, she'd rather be alone. She'd rather not be around the rest of the women in the town. She doesn't want to see them looking at her, making glances at her because of the things she's done that's not fitting to their morals, not even to the Samaritan morals for that matter. So she picks out this time to go where she can not have to deal with anybody. And because of the life she's had, I think she's choosing this, this is my personal opinion, because she wants some alone time. If you're struggling in life and dealing with issues, sometimes you just want to get away from it all. And the best excuse is, i got to go get water. This is my job. We are going at the hot part of the day. Yeah, I don't have to deal with the women, and I get to be by myself in addition to that. Only this time she didn't. So he needed to go through Samaria. But he asked this woman for a drink because this is his appointment. She's not ready to talk with anybody, but she breaks into conversation. Verse 8 mentions to us what happened with the apostles whose disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it? That you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. But the Jews had no dealings. John's putting in there in case you didn't know it. With the Samaritans. There's two things that are very out of kilter sociologically. A Jew and a Samaritan. And also a man and a woman alone by themselves. Either which of the two you don't do as a good Jew. And here's Jesus breaking cultural barriers to talk to this woman. He's made the appointment time. He knows what time she's going to go. He knows her life. He knows everything about her. And so he shows up there. And I want you to see what's happening in all of this process. So she makes the comment that she's shocked. That Jesus would even talk to her. Nothing's mentioned about how he looked at her or anything more, but you get the feeling that he's breaking through the ice. He could have stared at her in such a way that would have made her feel awkward. But she gets the feeling that this door is wide open to talk, nothing more, with a Jewish person. So Jesus answers her about the Samaritan thing, saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman that has said to him, sir, you don't have anything to draw with. That's a rope and a bucket, you know, not pencil and paper drawing. You don't have anything to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that water? And then to throw in a little bit more, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? How are you going to do this? Our, our, and she kind of throws in a little background here about why she feels proud to be there. Our father Jacob, who's also 
in the lineage of Jesus. And yet, nonetheless, she's going to put this out. Are you greater? Now, I want you to see two things that are going on here. Number one, Jesus is talking to her about what he's got going. And if she just knew this, if you knew, first of all, he says, the gift of God. And number two, who it is that's asking you. There is a great need for the world to know Jesus. I don't say that in a simplistic way. I think there are a lot of people in the world that would like to see Jesus. There are some things going on in the world today that make me think there are people that are not really religious the way we would look at it that are still wanting to see Jesus. They're starving to understand who He really is. They would like to see Jesus. But they aren't seeing Him too much in our society. We see a lot of things in our society that, that make you want to be fed up with living in the United States. In Panama, this last trip while I was there, I don't see too many people that are Americans coming through this little motel that we stay in. And this guy come walking in, he sat down... Uh, I was sitting in this, it's a very small little lobby area. It's not any bigger than this right here, just half of them. And I'm sitting here in a chair, there's a chair, a couch, and another chair. And this guy comes walking down the steps, and I'm, I'm studying. I decided to just get out of the room and come downstairs and study, prepare for a lesson I was doing. A guy comes walking by, and he goes, oh, reading the Bible, huh? I thought, okay, where are we going to go with this conversation, you know? And uh, I didn't know if I was going to be criticized or he was a preacher and he was going to tell me how I need to get my life straight or what it was. And I said, yeah, I'm studying through whatever. And he looked at what I was reading. And he, I could tell he was American by his accent. I said, where are you from? And he told me, you know. We got to talking to him. And the guy was a retired military person. He'd spent time working in NORAD. He had been in charge of some bases around the world, some military bases. So he's not some retired peon guy, he's been in some high up areas, probably a general here or there if he's in charge of, of a complete uh, area, a whole command. And so we had some conversation, a lot younger than me, but he was retired. And he says, I'm looking for a new place to live. I'm not wanting to stay in the United States anymore. I thought, how odd, the guy from military, but doesn't like the United States. So there's something he's tired of in the United States. And he's ready to get out and go somewhere else. And, and I just, I, I, but he was interested in what I was studying. So there was something the U.S. had that didn't really tantalize him, but the Word of God did. And we'll run into people no matter where we're at and how they're, they're, they're fed up with maybe what's going on in the United States, but they're still hungering for Jesus. I'd really like to meet Jesus. I'm tired of what I'm seeing around here. If you knew the gift of God is the other part. The gift that Jesus will talk about, this living water that's going to transform her life. And so I, I want you to see what's happening here in this whole process because Jesus is now discussing this idea of the gift of God and who he is. And she doesn't know who he is at all, but she's ready to have a discussion with him nonetheless. I stop and I think about Jesus and this woman. And how many other 
encounters Jesus had with other individuals that weren't really mindful of Jesus coming along and having an appointment, but he had it nonetheless. I think of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the emphasis is in the very act of adultery. And if you've read the story, and I'm sure most of you have, you realize that the Pharisees and all came in and threw this woman down right at Jesus' feet. And I look at that and I go, boy, Jesus is in the middle of a trap because they're wanting, of course, you know the story, they're wanting to get Jesus either to condemn the woman or to love him and disregard God's law. And he doesn't do either one of those. He, he loves the woman and he regards God's law as he always did. But there was an appointment going on with that woman and what was going on there. And he knew it was going to happen. He knew her lifestyle. He knew what was happening And on top of that, the Pharisees thought they were tricking him, and he was actually waiting for the appointment to take place, the way I look at it. He wasn't surprised at Jesus. He goes down the street knowing that they're waiting in in a trap for him. And actually, the trap is for them. And he arranges the appointment with the Pharisees and all there to set some things straight about what they ought to be doing right. And you see, as you look at what's going on in the Bible... Just about every place you see Jesus going, he has an appointment with somebody or a group of people about something in their life. And he does with this woman. Well, after Jesus talks about the water springing up into everlasting life, the woman says, Sir, verse 15, give me this water that I may not thirst and have to come here to draw it. She's still thinking on physical terms. But she's now a little bit encouraged about Jesus has something to offer. Now his response to that is interesting. Verse 16. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. I think it's very interesting. Because truthfully, she could have said, I'm not living with my husband anymore. That would have been a lot more truthful. But she said, I have no husband. Almost like, oh, I'm not married. And you go up to somebody on the street and you're talking to somebody, you just meet them, you know, whatever. Are you married? No, I'm not married. I didn't tell you a whole lot, but if you're seeing somebody in their 40s or 50s, you go, did you used to be married? Because usually, that's not always the case, but sometimes. And so the woman saying, I have no husband, is almost like, I don't want to go any further with this. I have no husband. Let's call it quits. Let's not talk about my life. And Jesus responds back, yeah, let's talk about your life for just a moment. And so he says, you've said, well, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one with whom you're with is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Now I want you to see what's happening here, because not only she had five different husbands, but in, in addition to that, now she's not even with any of those guys anymore. So she has been hopping from one to the other to the other. We don't know the cause for any of those, whether she was beaten in one situation or mistreated, but they have divorced her, Jewish law or whatever, Samaritan law, I guess. You can't, the woman can't divorce the man, but the man can divorce the woman. So she's been passed around or given up on or or whatever five times, and now she's even moved out of the one, and she's now with number six, at least. 
Maybe there were some men in between there. And the woman's looking at him, thinking, how on earth does this guy know this? Has he been to town before? Because the people know. No, he's a Jewish guy. He doesn't know. But he does know. And John doesn't tell us all the details in there. It starts out with just saying five husbands. And maybe Jesus added a little bit. First one's name was Abram. Second name, Josiah. Number three, he was a pretty good guy. He treated you better than the rest of them. His name's John. And he, and he maybe named all five of them. But she's just sitting there with her mouth open. Jesus knows everything about you. And that's going to be important on this appointment here. Because he knows absolutely everything about her. Not just the number of husbands she's had or the fact that she's living with somebody else. But he's looking into her soul and he knows every detail. Every thought she's ever had, good and bad. Every anger, every issue, everything she's ever stolen in the market or anything else that she's done in her life. And the good things too. He knows how troubled she is and why she's there at the middle of the day rather than early in the morning. He knows the grief she's gone through and the fact that she wants to be away from everything else out there and at least be by herself once in a while. She wants to get away from it all because she's tired of it all. And that's a whole lot of our society. On whatever side you're looking at. You find people divided, they're blue or red in colors of politicians. Uh, or Palestine or Israel in the sense of what's going on today. And all these different things. And they're all frustrated. They're all angry. They're all dealing with trouble. They're all having problems going to sleep at night. They want to get away from it all. And, and their life is messed up, spiritually speaking. Emotionally speaking. Morally speaking. And what's interesting is Jesus chose to have an appointment with that person. He didn't seek out the head Pharisees and go talk to them, try to straighten them out just a little bit so they can do a better job. He goes to a woman of Samaria in the middle of nowhere who isn't even accepted by her own people and he has an appointment with her. And so I, I want you to see that we have worth. That the Son of God made an appointment with this woman and John wrote about it to show to us that we have worth. No matter how messed up our life is, no matter how things gotten messed up by what we've done in addition to that. No matter how troubled, how aching, how hurting, or how good, we have worth. Worth enough that Jesus would go out of his way and make an appointment with us. That's incredible. Now out of that, I want you to see three things and then a follow-up for homework. The three things that is an appointment with Jesus brings joy. Because when this woman leaves, she takes off running to town. She leaves her water pots and everything behind. She goes, I found the Messiah. Come out here. This is incredible. Her life is changing. It's full of joy. 
She is now full of enthusiasm. Not only that, but he has challenged her and given her an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Where before she escaped and kind of snuck out of town, she didn't want to be with anybody. Now all of a sudden, she's going back into the center of town and she's the conversation for everybody. You've got to come see this guy. He's told me everything. And, and with that, you get the idea that he's volunteering to change my life. He's offered me something great. You've got to come see this guy. And she is so convincing, when you read the rest of the story, that the town comes out to see him. When you have an appointment like that with Jesus, he brings joy, he brings change, he brings hope. What else do you want but to be with Jesus? Now, one more thing out of all of this. Because these these appointments are important. I mentioned in the class earlier that uh, in the mornings I get up and I I go outside to do a little fast walking, occasional jog if I'm feeling up to it. That occasional lasts maybe 10 feet or so. But but before I do all that, I pull my little calendar out. It's a watch. It's a calendar. It's a phone. It's the whole gimmick thing. And I... Tap version Bible, and I hit Psalm 19. And I look up to the sky, and I have an appointment with God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day and day utter speech, night and night reveals darkness. There is no voice nowhere that's not heard. And then I go through there and I start listening to it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise is simple. And I go through here and I'm reminding myself... There's a God out there that's going to be with me today and I've got an appointment with him and I stop and I pray. Don't go through your days without an appointment with Jesus. You're starting off on the wrong track. He's there when you get up in the morning waiting for you to have an appointment with him. Where are you at? Hey, I'm right here. You ran out the door and forgot all about me. You missed your appointment. How about noontime? What about another appointment before, before you start middling into the rest of the day and messing things up? How about an appointment with me asking me to help you with all of these things? And at the end of the day, to take time and rejoice and thank me for helping you, getting you through things you didn't even see, but I took care of you nonetheless. Appointments with God. We miss them. Don't miss your appointments with God. This is your homework. This can be life-changing. Many sermons are, but prayers can be. Make an appointment with Jesus. He wants to have you in His life. Make appointments to be there with Him. No matter where you are, how much you've messed up, or what you've got going for you that's good or bad, put God in there and make a difference. That's what I see. It brings joy. It brings challenges and opportunities. And it brings change. And boy, I need a whole lot. I need more joy. I need more opportunities. And I need change. You get change with Jesus. Are you a Christian? And is he really changing your life? Or are you just blowing past the appointments and you just kind of left him behind? You you made that commitment, you were baptized, and then all of a sudden, I'm good enough just warming a pew on Sunday morning. He, He can bring a whole lot more than that. If you'll let him. Serve him. Come and be baptized if you've not. 
but don't leave here without thinking about appointments. And we've got one more at a call right now. If you need to change your life and make it public, it's an appointment for you. An appointment for change, an appointment with Jesus. Would you come while we stand and sing? <laughs>